if you just kind of do it a little more spontaneously without intention and without preparation, you can end up in this like really paranoid, like anxiety ridden space. You're listening to Narcotica, a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them. past year alone, two cities have decriminalized the personal use of psychedelic fungi, while four research centers have opened, one in the UK, one in Jamaica, and two in the US, all dedicated to studying psychedelics, especially psilocybin, the main ingredient in so-called shrooms. And the US Food and Drug Administration last month gave a second organization, USONA Institute, breakthrough therapy status for their program treating major depressive disorder with psilocybin. That designation was previously given to Compass Pathways, both organizations hoping to be able to one day prescribe these drugs to patients with hard-to-treat mental health conditions. And it seems to work incredibly well. It's a historic moment for psychedelic medicine, which may be legal sooner than you think. I'm Troy Farah, and you're listening to Narcotica. Our guest today is Michelle Janikian, a journalist and author living in Chiapas, Mexico. Today we're going to be talking about trip-sitting, or watching over someone while they take powerful psychedelic drugs, in this case, psilocybin mushrooms. And for the record, so that we don't get sued, this episode is not medical or legal advice, it's just a brief intro to the topic. If you're more interested, you should do your own homework. Michelle is the author of the new book, Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, an informative, easy-to-use guide to understanding magic mushrooms, which is available now from Ulysses Press. Michelle, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So this is a pretty great book. Uh, It covers a lot of the history of psychedelic mushrooms, uh, including indigenous ceremonial use, uh, the trajectory they took into mainstream science, but also information on how to use these fungi safely. Can we start with why you wanted to write this guide and who the intended audience is? Yeah, Yeah, sure. sure. So the intended audience is more so than the seasoned psychonaut, which is what we call like more regular psychedelic users. It's more for um, a psychedelic naive person who's curious in trying mushrooms for either the first time or maybe the first time in many years, like since college, or the first time intentionally. So like taking more consideration into how you prepare and your set and setting and things like that that I get into in the book. And the reason I wanted to write a book like this is basically ever since Michael Pollan's um, recent book came out, How to Change Your Mind, there's been an incredible like surgence of interest in trying mushrooms to like a more mainstream audience, people who aren't regularly using psychedelics, but are now super curious about all the uses and wanting to do it at home. So I really wanted to provide a resource of like everything that we kind of take for granted in the psychedelic community, all these ideas of safe use, preparation, integration, and put it all into like a really easy to understand book that people could have to reference um, and then to you know, use mushrooms safely um, and responsibly, like an adult was the idea. That's great. Yeah. So I guess for our listeners, I'm sure a lot of them know what psilocybin mushrooms are, but maybe we could kind of talk about what makes them unique and why people might be interested in trying them. Um, The way I kind of see mushrooms is 
versus LSD is mushrooms are more introverted. They like let me kind of see into myself a little bit more, whereas LSD kind of lets me see more out into the world. It makes me feel more curious about nature and and the universe, whereas mushrooms are more like personality and, and inner the inner universe, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would say that the mushroom experience is definitely one of the most introverted uh, and significant psychedelic experiences that I've ever had. Um, the mushroom experience, I mean, it's a psychedelic trip. So you get, you can get anyway, um, you know, a shift in perspective, um, clarity you can also get you know trippy visuals but for me how mushrooms are are different is everything especially from lsd everything feels really significant like like you're on this like really purposeful cosmic path when you take them um and that can help you i think do a lot of introspection you know people come out of mushroom trips with deep realizations about their own personalities, their own life, um, how people react to the way they behave. You know, you can, you can kind of see yourself and your place in the world uh, through a whole different lens. And a lot of people come back from that, you know, wanting to make like actionable changes in their life and to make things better. Not necessarily, that's more of a personal growth use, but I think it's just much more common than with LSD. And I think that even when people take mushrooms just for fun or curiosity, you end up oftentimes still having these super powerful introspective experiences, which was my personal experience. Um, even if you're not looking for it, the mushrooms often still provide it. And I don't think that always happens with LSD or um, other more recreational psychedelics. So it's definitely a great tool for personal growth, for introspection. And I mean, it expands your consciousness in a way that, I mean, if you've never done a psychedelic before, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but I think that it's a valuable experience for almost anyone. Uh, Expand it that much and to see yourself in the world from this kind of bird's eye view, if you will. Um, there's a lot of benefits to using mushrooms, um, but it, like uh, my book stresses, the most important thing is to use them safely because there can also be some risks and things like that and so if you wanted to try this you know the best case the best way to do it is is to prepare and to do so safely and then you might come out with some you know transformational type experiences or insights and that kind of thing yeah that's that's why they're so interesting to me is that they can be so eye-opening i know that that's been my personal experience um, and they are pretty safe relatively to other drugs. I know that uh, there was one study, I think, from Johns Hopkins University that was um, about how they are the, they're safer than cannabis, actually, um, in terms of how many people end up in the hospital for them or have adverse effects or that kind of thing. Um, how do you feel about, there's this kind of debate in the psychedelic community uh, about whether trips can be bad or not. Some people like to use the term challenging um, instead of bad. And I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I feel like I've had trips that were really uncomfortable, kind of frightening, but I worked through them. And even though it was kind of an uncomfortable experience, the next day, I still felt this kind of afterglow feeling of 
peace and unity in the universe and kind of just like I learned something so important from it and so I can't really say that any mushroom trip that I've ever had and I've had quite a lot and not, not, even, not even bragging just that's happened in my life and and I've had quite a lot and I can't say any of them were negative uh, overwhelmingly uh, so I don't know how you feel about the whole terminology bad versus challenging yeah, you know, I do go into it a little bit um, in my chapter on, I called it challenging trips, not bad trips. But I, I know the psychedelic community says that there's no such thing as a bad trip, only a challenging experience. But I don't know if I agree 100%. Because I think that, like, I think, a, so this is my distinction. I think a challenging trip is one that, you know, you could still prepare for and have uh, you know, like you've prepared your set and setting, you're in a comfortable location, you're in a good place, like your mindset, your mood, you're ready for this experience. And you can still have a really challenging time. You can still like go through some, you know, tough thoughts. You could have some tough memories bubble up, some things you weren't dealing with can bubble up, um, that kind of thing. And that's pretty common. Um, but I think the difference between a bad trip, I would say a bad trip is one that is not prepared for at all. So like maybe you take mushrooms drunkenly at a party because someone offers it, or you take them at a music festival, you know, without any, like, I don't think that necessarily taking them in public has to be a bad trip. But if you just kind of do it a little more spontaneously without intention and without preparation, you can end up in this like really paranoid, like anxiety ridden space. Um, and that can be avoided by like preparing and, and making things as like safe and relaxing as possible. Cause if you're in a really stressful situation, like your surroundings are really like chaotic and stress inducing, like you can get stuck in what people call negative um, thought loops. You can just like spend the whole time wishing the experience was over. I think it's a pretty common bad trip experience. You're just like, I hate this. I want this to be over. This is terrible. I'm nauseous. <laughs> this is too much. Um, but when you like learn some navigation skills, like uh, relaxing, breathing through, acceptance, then then you'll probably, you can like, you know, breathe through that, oh God, I wish this was over feeling and start to embrace it. It's like ask yourself, you know, why do you wish this is over? What's wrong with like whatever? <laughs> um, and so I think that's kind of the fundamental difference to me is like challenging trips are going to happen, but bad trips you can prevent, I guess. <laughs> that's my take. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, have you ever had a challenging trip yourself or walked somebody through one? I um I have had challenging trips and I hadn't always I was always like I thought I was really good at tripping I don't know that sounds like ridiculous but yeah. I bet other psychonauts like feel the same and then I um I went on my first I had always done them more for fun and curiosity to connect with my friends with nature I had always kind of experienced the kind of insightful aspects of it but was never really like taking mushrooms with the intention to heal and that whole, you know, thing. <laughs> and then I went on my first mushroom retreat and I wrote about it a little in the book and also in an article um, in the fall issue of Playboy this year. But 
So as soon as I like stepped into a therapeutic container to take mushrooms for healing, I had like a, my first pretty challenging trip where I cried like the whole time. I felt just totally inept. Uh, I don't know, like all my all my uh, self-conscious imposter syndrome type feelings like bubbled up and just totally dominated my experience. I had some suicidal ideation, which was something that I like sometimes was having because I was a little depressed at the time. And uh, it was, it was tough, but because I had trip sitters, there was facilitators, there was a shaman, you know, that really helped. Uh, They brought me tissues. They held space for me. They didn't like, guide my trip or try to cheer me up in any way because that's not really what trip sitting's about but um you know they were there for me and just let me cry and um it was a really healing experience and to actually just like I was resisting it a little um in the container they created everyone was really supposed to like lay back and go inward and you know deal with your trauma and i was sitting up and crying and just like this is terrible why do people do this uh but when i did start sitting back and and kind of like just listening to my body and myself i realized like a lot of stuff that i wasn't dealing with and um it really helped me moving forward just giving that those things more attention um, and and talking about them in the integration meeting at the at the retreat. Finally, it was something I wasn't sharing, um, and I finally shared it with people, and it just felt so good. And so, sometimes challenging trips can be your most healing, but it's just yeah. really hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, that's an incredible experience. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it was yeah. a tough one, but it was good. <laughs> I've kind of gotten stuck in some of those negative thought loops myself. Like I was once biking um, on mushrooms and thought that every single pair of headlights that was passing me was a cop. And then I was just thinking about every person in every single car and how everyone is just born and then they die. And then there's like like this cycle of being born and dying and it's just endless and nothing means anything. And I was freaking out. My friend was biking with me and his bike broke the chain came off and he was trying to fix it. And he was asking me like, what's wrong? And kind of making fun of me a little bit, but I was unable to speak. I was just like, couldn't talk. And eventually he's just like, well, I guess we'll go home. And so we went back and then I just like, couldn't deal with it. I just like went home after that and just laid down and didn't do anything for a while. But the next day it was like a new lease on life. It's like, I feel life is so valuable and being a part of this existence is incredible. And I was so happy and I learned so much from it. It was really interesting. Um, and that kind of comes into what I want to talk to you about is how to trip sit because I'm not blaming my friend or anything, but <laughs> you know, there's this whole concept in the psychedelic uh, culture about set and setting. I believe that was coined by Timothy Leary, But the idea is a lot older than him, obviously, and it's just about having the right mindset and the right space for these experiences so that they can be uh, more effective, maybe. Um, So how does it start? Like in your book, you talk about how effective trip sitting really starts with like a conversation. What What is in that conversation? Yeah, so the in the chapter, it starts from like how to trip sit, but, you know, it could be read by, you know, how to be trip-sitted as well. But um, so I think that 
for a successful trip sitting experience, you should talk to your trip sitter or your trip sitter should talk to you. Yeah, like days before the experience or even longer. And it should just really lay out like everything that's involved, which sounds like a lot. But the, the key is that it's like super transparent. So there's no surprises on trip day because the last thing you want when you're in a deep psychedelic experience is just like something unexpected happening. It's just like way more stressful than in normal life. And so I um, encourage trip sitters to not only like talk to the person they might sit with on like what mushrooms could feel like, you know, if it's their first time, um, but also like, um, you know, house all day, uh, is, do they have roommates that might come home, a partner, you know, like any, just to try to control for like all the little details so that you can release your control on trip day and let the trip sitter deal with all the other things. Like if you're expecting a package from FedEx or whatever, like tell the trip sitter. But I also encourage trip sitters to talk to about or for like people who are being sitted to tell trip sitters like you know do they have any medical conditions like it, that doesn't have to prevent uh you sitting with someone but are you like a diabetic do you have low blood pressure like do you take medication for some other reason that you can't miss a dose because you're gonna forget all that like normal earthly stuff for like this four to six hours that you're like fully on mushrooms like that stuff just seems silly or like you don't remember it at all or or it can actually just seem like the funniest thing in the world that you have to take a pill every six hours because whatever um yeah so that kind of thing and also of course if you have you know if you struggle with mental health stuff like if you have depression anxiety tell your trip sitter you know don't be um ashamed of that kind of stuff because you're feeling the shame start bubbling up which they probably will and that's totally normal but if you've already like kind of brought some of it into the light then it can just be easier to deal with so the key is to just discuss like as much things as you can remember and just to make everything as clear cut as possible yeah so there's like just no surprises on trip day that's the big thing <laughs> I, I think i'm glad you brought up health issues because I, I feel like the heart conditions are something you really need to consider if you're thinking about taking psilocybin mushrooms but you do talk about in the book that psilocybin activates the serotonin 2a receptor which is largely responsible for the hallucinogenic experience but it also agonizes the 5-HTP2B receptor, um, and long-term activation of this receptor is linked to cardiotoxicity or a form of heart damage called valvular heart disease. And now it's not clear if psilocybin activates the 2B receptor long enough to cause any of this, but it's like we need more research on this, and it's kind of a consideration if you have heart problems. So to basically sum up, like, you know, if you have any health conditions, you should discuss that with your trip sitter, or if you're doing trip sitting, you should discuss that with the people that you're 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 facilitating. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because one of the other things like you want to try to avoid, right, is like some kind of uh, you know serious health thing going on. Like if you start to have like yeah, your heart rate goes up, and like yeah, you really got to discuss all these kinds of things. You can't be ashamed and like hide that from your trip sitter because you can't hide anything when you're on mushrooms. So don't <laughs> hide your health condition either like it should just be as transparent as possible some other advice you give is to have a backup sitter 
um, somebody that can come and help. And also, you should also be prepared to call emergency services, correct? Yeah, I um, the backup sitter was the um, suggestion of the trip sitting expert I interviewed. I didn't really think of that, but I think it's a really good idea. You know, they not only could like come help you, like let's say sometimes when people are like going through something difficult, like they can, you know, it can be like overwhelming if you're watching them and they're crying or they're shaking or they're screaming and like, you know, flailing their arms if they're like a bigger person than you. It could get like a little intimidating as a trip sitter. And like, because one of the main trip sitting skills is to like stay a calm, supportive presence. Like if you're starting to get a lot of anxiety, the tripper's going to know and it could spiral you both into this like pretty negative paranoid place and so what a backup sitter can also do is to just like give the trip sitter some comfort you could um just have someone to text to be like oh man is this normal or like you know or just like to help you think of situations from a new perspective because i think the last um the last uh, resort is is to call emergency services like if someone's like starting to seize you know or something like that you you should call 911 like don't let them have a seizure and like not do something right but like sometimes it's like a little less serious and so you just kind of need someone to like bounce ideas off of and a backup sitter could help a backup sitter can also come and help you like if something is going really like you know hectic or like um, off plan but I also just think it can really just help put the trip sitter into like a peace of mind um, so they can stay relaxed because they know like worst case, I have, you know, my friend here on speed dial and backup and they can come and help me. Um, so it's just like keep everyone as safe as possible. Yeah. And we should be clear here that I don't think psilocybin mushrooms can cause seizures necessarily, but that could happen if you have epilepsy or something like that. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it's not common at all, but I just think that, like, yeah, if you had epilepsy or, I don't know, I think sometimes, like, drug combinations and stuff, uh, it's, like, a possibility, and yeah. so, yeah, that kind of stuff, just to, like, stay safe, but also, like, when you look into some of the older literature on LSD psychotherapy, like, with Stanislav Grof, you know, they believe that a lot of, like, shaking and seizure-like activity is actually, like, you know, the body processing trauma or something. So to like learn the difference too, and to like be able to see that um, or to have a backup sitter to call and be like, her legs are shaking so much. Is that a seizure? And they'll be like, no, that's a pretty normal somatic response or, you know, something like that. Or they could Google it for you if you don't have your computer. They could be like, oh, it's actually this. I don't know, that kind of thing as far as is the idea. Interesting, I didn't know that. But another thing we probably should have mentioned at the beginning Trip sitters are generally, they should be sober. You know, like they probably shouldn't take psychedelic drugs with the person taking psychedelic drugs. But they should also, ideally, maybe not, have uh, some of their own experience uh, with psychedelics. You shouldn't probably be trip sitting someone if you've never done psychedelics yourself. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a little debate in this topic in the community, like... Um... Well, some trip sitters do like to like take a little microdose so they're like on the same level as the tripper. But I don't know. I think for like safety, I think it's better if you're sober because if you're microdosing like and then you have to like 
do something in the outside world, like that could just be a little bit more challenging or I don't know, or like, you know, more like a museum does like, oh, I'm just going to take one gram while my friend takes three grams. Like, no, please just maybe stay sober or, you know, I think that would just be like the most beneficial for the person tripping. And as far as like psychedelic experience, it's also like debated a bit. Um, I think it is useful for trip sitters to have tripped before, you know, then you're not like surprised or made, you know, anxious by the reaction of the person tripping. Um, and especially if you've had some challenging trips, you kind of like, you know, know the lay of the land. You can help people like breathe through it or hold their hand and just be like, don't worry, this is a normal part of the process and I'm here for you. But if you've never tripped before, that could make you anxious. You know, you might not really get what's going on. But at the same time, I, you know, if you're really curious about trying mushrooms and you've never done it and your partner is like, well, I'll hold space for you, like, or I'll trip sit for you. You take some mushrooms and I'll stay sober and watch over you. Like, that is, I think that's still beneficial, even if they don't have the psychedelic experience. Like, I think that just having someone sober that you can lean on, like for support, literally or figuratively, uh, can can also just be helpful. So, you know, just do your homework. And if you've never had psychedelic experience, but you are planning on trip sitting, you know, read the chapter, read some other stuff online. The Zendo Project by Maps has a lot of good stuff. Um, there's other resources uh, to just like get prepared to, to trip sit as well. Yeah, and we'll link to a bunch of these resources in the show notes so that people can find out more. Uh, there are also some other basic tips you have, uh, such as don't be on your phone, be calm, don't be condescending. I really like how this, this is described as holding space. That's a really interesting way of describing it. You're not just... Because trip sitting almost sounds like you're babysitting somebody. <laughs> it sounds like... It is like, oh, you can't handle yourself on these drugs, which is not really the case. You just... you got to be in like a the right environment, I think. And I, I like that idea of holding space more. Yeah, no, I think it's a really beautiful concept and it doesn't have to necessarily be for psychedelics, but holding space is this idea where um, you just are there with someone when they're going through something. So you, this could be in a conversation with a friend when you're both just you know, sober. Um, I kind of hate that word when you're both just, but you know what I mean? Uh, it's more about like just not being too opinionated about um, your response. It just kind of, it doesn't have to like be overly supportive, but I think sometimes we all get caught up in like trying to give our friends advice and, and, and trying to solve everyone's problems. But sometimes people just want to talk out their, their shit without it. And sometimes people's advice can kind of really just like affect how you think about things. And that can be really helpful, but in the really susceptible, sensitive state of mind when you're on like a moderate to high dose of mushrooms, like you don't really want that. You want, you just want someone to be there for you without their opinions and their whole world, like just like kind of like judging you it kind of feels like you're being judged maybe you're not doing the right thing when someone gives you advice right so like holding space is just it's just being there just listening you can respond but it's just trying not to get too opinionated and just letting people kind of work stuff out in your presence in a way I think it's really beautiful and people should do it more often in regular life as well 
Yeah, and I've tripped with people before, and they would ask me lots of questions sometimes, like, am I okay? Am I being too weird? Or am I annoying you? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not even paying attention to you, honestly. I'm just doing my own thing. But, yeah, I know, but... like, have you seen the wood door? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> and, and if things do turn challenging, um, you do have some advice in this chapter. Uh, so one thing you write from the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies obviously maps uh they teach sitters to encourage trippers to explore all emotions even difficult ones and as you write this is a quote once trippers relax and let all of their emotions flow they'll stop resisting the experience and likely find incredible insights deep inner peace or even transcendence on the other side um so can you talk a little bit about how you kind of walk people through things when they get challenging another thing you mentioned is like connecting with the breath yeah, so that's a big thing that MAPS suggests. Um, their whole thing is like talk people through experiences, not out of them. Because uh, with the Zendo project, um, you know, they're often, they set up at music festivals like Burning Man and other big festivals where taking psychedelics can be like a really big part of the experience for people. And then you like end up in a bad trip and you're just like, you have nowhere to go. So the Zendo project like developed this like nice, safe, comfortable peaceful environment where you can just kind of go to and relax and and the trip sitters there can can help you talk through instead of out of because when you're trying to talk someone out of a trip I don't know it's like it's kind of like implying that what they're doing is wrong right and it can like kind of encourage the stigma and more negative feelings but if you can just help someone talk through like um because maybe they're going through maybe like you know, they had an abortion and it's bubbling up and they can't stop thinking about it yet. They're like in this like party situation, you know, and you can just be like, tell me more. Like, when did this happen? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you can just kind of like, li just listen. You can ask like guided like questions, but it's more just like helping people get through it rather than out of it because it's really, they're the only ones that can resolve this. Right. And yeah. connecting with your breath is another tip. Um, that experience trip sitters and this is more like facilitators so there is like kind of a difference between like a guide and a trip sitter i think we can get into it but i think an experienced trip sitter kind of just turns into a guide but um connecting with the breath you know it's like a for any anxiety ridden situation if you can take some deep breaths and just focus on your breath you're going to you're hopefully going to relax or, you know, it's a, it's a pretty easy, natural way to relax your system. And so what, especially when people are going through like really confusing trips, like um, sometimes you can like forget who you are or what you're doing, like what's going on. You can get into this kind of like paranoid, confused place. And if, um, or you can like be like crying uncontrollably or having a panic attack, which is another possibility it's not super common but it definitely happens and then a, an experienced trip sitter you know can come over and just be like breathe with me and you can breathe together they can count for you my um trip sitting expert jess grotfield who is also my trip sitter at the retreat um she you know she's a little more experienced and she has all these like breathwork techniques and was telling me and i quoted one in the book where you like i think you exhale for longer than you inhale and you also do like a little pull not even sure the exact numbers but it's like inhale for 
four, hold for three, and exhale for six, and then you like count with the tripper. And after breathing like that together for a little while, people can feel better. Um, but I also wanted to say that sometimes talking through and breathing through is like a lot of work or like it's just a little too much for people. So there's also ways to distract yourself. I go into this in the book because I think they're important skills. I think the like psychedelic guides and the, the therapeutic psychedelic side to things might disagree with me. Like they're not really about distracting people from their inner world. But I think if you're doing mushrooms at home or whatever, it can be helpful to do some distraction techniques. So what I recommend in the book is like for trip sitters can encourage people to like take off their shoes and feel their feet to the ground can help. It can help ground you. Um, walking around, taking a walk. Um, and then in my chapter on challenge, how to deal yourself with challenging trips, I have a whole bunch of other suggestions, um, like changing the lighting, the music, the room you're in, or going from inside to outside, if that's a possibility, can just like really just switch up your mood um, because you're just so sensitive. And that can just be like all you need to get out of this like really dark, you know, thought loop that you get stuck in. Sometimes just like changing the song or the light color or dimness can kind of help you out of that um, rather than through it. I'm not really sure if there's a difference, but I think distractions are another useful, just like tool to have in your psychedelic skill set. Um, if breathing through and talking through doesn't work, you might want to try something else or dancing or shaking through it. If you have a tambourine, shaking it, banging on some drums, there's like so many different things you can do to like kind of work through or distract yourself from these like challenging experiences. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how, you know, changing the music or the lighting can change the mood of the trip so much. And sometimes I feel like in my experience, like, going to a negative place just briefly and then kind of coming out and doing something else and then going back to that negative space kind of and, and just like like kind of like a back and forth between it can kind of help cope with it instead of just being overwhelmed with it all at once or something that's a really good um suggestion actually next edition uh, <laughs> i like that <laughs> another thing i do uh one thing i do whenever i trip is i always write down on a piece of paper how much I took and at what time. And that way they're like, you know, sometimes people, they, they feel like they're going to get stuck in this mental state, this, this distorted psychedelic space. But they also will maybe feel like if someone else gave them the drug that they were poisoned or something's wrong. And it, just having that there is like kind of a record, you know, this, you took this much, it was at this time, you can look at the time now, it'll wear off. You don't have to worry about this. It's definitely not permanent. Uh, and that actually helped with my own, I had a bad trip once uh, and I, I had written that down and I was able to like look at it and was like, come back down a little bit. Uh, Cause I thought it was like four or five in the morning. It was 10 PM at night. And I was like, Oh, I haven't, I haven't even been on this drug for that long. And I don't know if that's good advice or not, but that's kind of helped me at least once. I really like that. And I've actually heard of that um, for when you, if you're gonna a psychedelic in public, that's like a really good thing to do is to like put a piece of paper like that in your pocket, like could be like your name and your address as well. And like I took three grams of psilocybin mushrooms at, you know, 4.30 p.m. 
um, and not have any other drugs on you um, is also the, the suggestion. And then like, yeah, if you do get lost from your friends or you get a little confused and someone tries to help you, you know, the idea is that they'd find this piece of paper and, you know, could maybe help you, help you call someone or something like that. Um, and then, you know, the other suggestion to not have other drugs on you is important because if it's a cop or something that finds you, instead of putting you, I mean, you could, there's still, that's still a risky situation, like, obviously, but right. it'd be less risky if you had uh, any, if you didn't have any substances on you, like even weed or something. It depends on what yeah. state you're in, but yeah, something like that. I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I've I heard, and again, this episode is not legal advice, but that uh, it's not actually illegal to be high in most states. Uh, it's only illegal to have drugs on you. So, I mean, take, take that advice at your own risk, though. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. How people react to you is just a whole other ball game. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there anything else about trip sitting that you think people should know about before I kind of want to move on and talk about uh, this concept more broadly? But if there's any more advice for people and in, in your in your book and in on the excerpt on double blind, you have um, a couple do's and don'ts, which are interesting. Oh, yeah, I just kind of the do's and don'ts were I kind of wanted to have like a really easily read easily accessible like chart or something, you know, just in case you were like you couldn't read the whole chapter because you're actually trip sitting and you could be like, okay, here's a quick like, okay, you can access that really quickly. I think the do's and don'ts kind of just like summarize the whole chapter but it's things like yeah like you mentioned earlier don't be condescending don't act annoyed don't act super anxious like even if you are a little annoyed or anxious like try to keep it cool and I also don't think yeah don't like ask people how they're feeling too often I think that's just annoying when you're tripping even if like you're having an okay trip and you're like you know it's just like like why are you asking mom like I'm cool it's fine right. you don't need to be checking in that much yeah, you like, yeah, check in, but it's like, you know, reasonably. Um, and I think that if they're your close friends, just kind of act how you would normally, just maybe like, a, just like maybe even talk a little less, a little bit less of your opinion, but just act, because if you're not acting normal, your friends are also going to notice, because they're super sensitive, like they could be convinced that they can read your mind at that moment. And so like, just... <laughs> I don't know, just try to keep it cool. And then, yeah, ha yeah. so that the, the end of the chapter, yeah, it just tries to um, give people a really quickly accessible do's and don'ts, just in case you were like, really needed it fast. That was the idea. <laughs> so trip sitting has kind of become like a cottage industry in certain places, uh, such as Colorado, um, you know, Denver, uh, decriminalized uh, psychedelic mushrooms in May of this year. Um, it, the, the measure won by half a percentage point. It's really surprising that it passed, but it also shows how far we have to go when it comes to the dialogue about the, the Overton window, as they call it, you know, for, for broader psychedelic reform. But already um, there's this like cottage industry there of trip sitters, people that uh, will get paid to trip sit people. Um, Vice reported last year uh, that people can make a thousand dollars per session of trip sitting. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, kind of getting paid a lot of money to, to watch somebody on drugs. I remember that article on Vice and yeah, I think, I mean, a thousand dollars is a lot. I think that you can get a psychedelic 
guide for around a thousand dollars who will like do you know some preparatory sessions and some integration sessions i think like included in that price i mean i think on the one hand it's like it's a positive thing you know that this like safety measure in our community is spreading but i mean right now we're really kind of facing just like capital coming into the psychedelic community and kind of like how do we make money off this? And I, you know, I'm guilty. I wrote a book. It's not going to make a lot of money, but it's like, I'm not totally free of this uh, um, either, but it's, it's, it's challenging. Like on the one hand, I think it's, it's good to have more trip sitters, but a thousand dollars, that just sounds like so much to me. Yeah. You know, it also in Colorado, there's like the Medicinal Mindfulness Center, which is doing like trip sitting training. Uh, so like there, it's definitely a cottage industry. I mean, I just hope that people respect it. And I think part of respecting it is, is charging a reasonable amount or doing it for your friends and loved ones for free. I know it's a really long time commitment. So that's like hard to ask. It's, I'm, I'm conflicted, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so am I. And that's exactly why I ask. And, and you know, I also profit from writing about psychedelics. And it's weird because there's like this huge debate right now about capitalism and psychedelics and how it all fits in together. Because the struggle to, to have legal access to these drugs or these medicines, you know, it's been a really, really difficult thing. Like some people have been working on it for literally decades and to see it slowly, slowly become legal, but only in the context of, oh, you can pay a whole bunch of money to go get a ketamine infusion. It's not going to be covered by insurance. Or you can go get S-ketamine from Johnson & Johnson, this company that nobody trusts because of what they were lying about, all that talc stuff. And it's big pharma, all this bullshit. I understand a little bit. Like, if you're going to charge someone to trip sit, I mean, according to the article, you know, they spend a day talking about it. They have the day of the actual trip and then another day, um, you know, kind of deconstructing everything, going over everything and, and, and just like a come down, what the hell happened? Let's talk about it kind of thing. And there's also the legal factor, you know, you're doing something that is generally not legal anywhere in the United States. So I guess I understand the price, but at the same time, it's just like, you kind of see people just taking advantage of a situation that uh, you don't want to see this only available to people that have cash. Well, yeah, and that's the big risk with the whole, um, you know, medicalization of psychedelics. Like, and that's why the decrim initiatives are good because, like, I think that we should legalize medical, you know, psilocybin-assisted therapy. And yeah, it's going to be expensive and yada yada because it's like really time-consuming for these professionals. But it should also be legal or at least decriminalized at first to grow your own and to do it yourself because not everyone can afford this like crazy, uh, you know, it's, there's so many benefits to the medical side and doing it in a therapeutic container that you can't deny. And you, and it's like, you know, hard to deny that it's also just going to cost a lot of money. And, but that's why I think we really need both because I've, you know, I say in my book that using psychedelics, for healing, for mental health is like a lot harder on your own than with a guide or a trip sitter or, you know, a clinical trial. But at the same time, I did have a bunch of people reach out to me who are doing this work on their own for, you know, 
a lot of times like PTSD trauma, like that kind of stuff. And, and it's helping them also because they're educating themselves and they're doing it safely. And, you know, they're taking their set and setting into consideration. They're journaling about it and learning things about themselves. And, and so I just think we really need both um, for this to be uh, not just accessible, but I don't know for this to really like be a cultural moment and like a movement and it just needs to be accessible to everyone. We need to have options. It can't just be the, the legal expensive therapy that would just be defeating the whole point somehow in my mind. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I, I would hate to see that it's only available medicinally and the people that are growing mushrooms in their garage or something are, are still at risk of being felons or, you know, being thrown in jail Exactly. Um, Because again, we've talked about a lot of the risks of psychedelics on this episode, but in general, they're really mild. I mean, they're manageable and they're not like, you don't get brain damage. You don't get like long-term effects. Usually there are risks. um, Of course, we're not going to downplay those, but in general, like, I mean, going to a bar and drinking six beers is going to be way riskier for you. And people do that every weekend. Oh yeah. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Yeah, I just really hope. I mean, there are a lot of activists fighting really hard for us to have both options. So hopefully, you know, just support your local decrim initiatives. That's like the best thing we can do right now. um, For sure. There's decriminalized nature and Denver has spore and they both I call them lobbyist groups, but I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I just mean that they are literally lobbying to change the laws. And I, I think that's (laughs) <laughs> really surprising and encouraging that we've had two of these groups show up in the, in the last year and they're making a lot of change. Yeah, absolutely. And the decriminalization or the decriminalized nature initiative, it's spreading. Like if you look at their site, they have this map where like decriminalized like uh, initiatives have started like in, in, and it's all in like specific cities. Cause that's how you start first. You get it in your city past and then like you can move on to bigger, like your state, you know, and oh man, they're all over the U.S. It's so amazing. Like they're in Texas, they're in New York, like it's everywhere. Like yeah. it's a really, really exciting time. It's really cool. The one in Dallas is surprising to me because, you know, Texas doesn't even really have medical marijuana. They allow like access to CBD, but only for certain conditions and you have to get a doctor's note. It's like really strict there. And, you know, historically they love arresting people for pot. So it, it like the fact that they're like, they're not, pushing for this i hope it makes some progress because it's it's an exciting time yeah and even if like they're making progress just by like bringing attention to it right and like getting some some media or just getting some like attention in that community that this is a real issue like that's already progress so yeah yeah, hopefully it just keeps progressing but no i definitely agree especially in play like i've also i was thinking in dallas when i said texas uh like i know to see to see a decrim initiative pass in West Texas, that would just be, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Kind of what you were talking about earlier, like the whole cashing in on this thing. I feel like that's kind of why I have qualms with the whole microdosing movement. It's just, you know, trendy in the Silicon Valley to take small amounts of psychedelics to just get like the base effects. And in, in order to be a better capitalist, like so that you're more creative at app development or whatever. 
And I don't know, that's just a, another interesting thing. It's like, what are we going to try to use these psychedelics for once they're legal? Like, are we going to try to make more money with them or or what? I agree. Um, like, yeah, the microdosing thing's interesting. It kind of feels like the CBD of psychedelics, right? Because this year we've seen like CBD just go totally mainstream. It's all over. Like, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from New York. Like, it's like at like bodegas and stuff in the city where like you still can't get legal cannabis like it's it's unless you have a medical card um microdosing i mean <sighs> i think that microdosing i mean for productivity i actually find that still a little hard to believe like yeah you can be a better capitalist you can be a better computer programmer if you microdose like I actually have a lot of trouble concentrating when I microdose so I don't know how it's working for these people differently um I think microdose is a good way to you know use um or to experiment with mushrooms especially if it's your first time on a psychedelic it's a good way to ease yourself in I think it can be cool for like creativity and stuff because I do sometimes get like a very small shift in perspective and sometimes when I'm working on an article or something like it can kind of help me like just remember to or just like kind of remember like some of the other points of view or angles or something that I wanted to include that I like forgot before mm -hmm. but when it comes to sitting in front of my computer and researching and writing like oh I can't do it on a microdose it um I just want to go like to the local park with my dogs and lay in the grass and read a book or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think that, I don't know. It's also fun for socializing. I think like, I don't like to take a psychedelic for a party. Like I'm not a social tripper really, maybe with really close friends or my partner, but like just like 0 0.25, 0 0.3 grams can be like a cool alcohol replacement or like other party drugs because you can kind of still get like a little energized and like fun and chatty and just like bubbly or whatever but like you know you don't have a massive hangover the next day you probably don't want to drink as much alcohol or any that night and I think it's kind of cool for that personally but yeah I don't know yeah the productivity thing I don't know that all seems a bit sometimes I don't know if I wholly believe it <laughs> in my personal experience I have uh, not been very productive trying to microdose it I'm just too sensitive or I take too much and I don't know maybe I should try smaller doses or something but I end up just wanting to like you said go out into nature or do something distracting I don't want to be on my computer no, the computer screen is like so much worse when I'm microdosing. And I also get nauseous from microdoses, like especially on the come up. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah, so that really kills my productivity. Then I just want to like smoke weed to get rid of the nausea and then just like hang out. And uh, yes, so I, I don't use it for productivity. I like it occasionally. Like I like mushrooms, you know, occasionally. Um, but yeah, mostly more for like creativity sort of and just kind of like getting in touch with myself just kind of like having a fun day I don't know yeah. that's just me I also think it's interesting you talked about it mild mild doses of psychedelics as being a replacement for alcohol like Sasha Shogun uh described 2CB as his zero calorie cocktail and mm -hmm. I, I think 
alcohol is such a weird damaging drug i don't think it should be illegal but i feel like it should be used a lot less and we should have more alternatives i would love to see i mean they're talking about doing this already and and colorado and canada i think is opening up a psilocybin mushroom lounges where you can get it in tea or something like small doses i believe but and, it, and it's like really and like they're just talking about doing it i don't think they're really doing it yet but uh they're just waiting for the law to like be there and then as soon as it's legal like they're they're ready to set up their business yeah i've heard of that some of the cafe it was got a lot of news but there's no legal framework for that yet so it was like kind of just like a buzzwordy thing but i mean it could be cool isn't that essentially like i've never been to amsterdam but my understanding is that at the cafes where you can buy cannabis you can also buy um psilocybin truffles and i think that the idea is kind of similar i mean it would be interesting. I, I let's see. It took so long for us to get like cannabis cafes, even in like adult use states. So yeah. we'll see. But I mean, it could definitely be in our future. It's an exciting time. Yeah, I actually uh, spent a semester in the Netherlands, and you can go and buy a little, they're like little plastic boxes of truffles. It's interesting because they used to sell mushrooms in in, in the Netherlands, but uh, they. Well, an American tourist died on them. Um, she took too much and then stepped in front of a train, I believe, which is terribly tragic, but it's not necessarily the mushroom's fault. Drunk people do that all the time, and it's still tragic, not downplaying it at all. But they said, okay, no more mushrooms. It's all illegal. And then, but the Netherlands law did not account for truffles, which is the part of the fungus that grows underground. And there are certain species of mushrooms that the truffles have psilocybin in them or psilocin. Um, and... Uh, um, they, you can still buy them and they taste awful. They taste like rotten berries. And the trip is slightly different. I think it's because it's more psilocin than psilocybin for listeners. Psilocin is the actual, the actual active ingredient in mushrooms. Psilocybin is a pro drug. It breaks down into psilocin and that's what causes the trip. Um, so I think that the, removing the, the one part of the step of the breakdown can have a different experience. A little bit it's just like slightly tweaked if you know what i mean like it's it feels the same but different and i don't know it was a beautiful i loved them they were great and the thing is is the whole point of me telling the story is that they came with a little booklet and the booklet was like this is what you expect on a mushroom trip like th there were different brands i tried a whole bunch of them um and they, you know they would have scale of one to five of how how uh how powerful it was how potent they were so, you know, for the first trip I took with them, I started with the small one. And then like a month later, I took them again and they, I got the four out of five and then the five out of five. And it's interesting, like they have all this harm reduction baked into it. And when people legalize, talk about legalizing psychedelic drugs, they're like, well, how could how could you do that? How could you just allow people to go into a store and buy them? And it's like there are already places around the world that allow you to do that. Um, Jamaica, isn't that where you went for your trip? Actually, no. I um I stayed here in Mexico, so I did it in okay. Mexico. So it's a little different. It's not exactly legal here, um. But that is a really interesting framework. I really like um the whole like harm reduction, just like being part of the packaging. Like that's how it should be with everything. Like we should yeah. have more of that, to be honest. Like that's really cool. Yeah, we should have that with alcohol. I mean, in, yeah. in some places, I think they kind of have that a little bit with some edibles with cannabis, but uh, not. It's not good enough. I don't know. It could be better is what I'm saying. 
I me too. I've been thinking about this a lot. Oh yeah, tell me. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you kind of what the the drug situation is like in Mexico in your experience. Yeah. So I, I feel um, like psychedelic experiences are legal if it's in a ceremonial setting, right? Is that? I mean, I, I think ayahuasca and ibogaine are allowed there, uh, as long as it's like traditional indigenous ceremonial use or something like that. Yeah, well, that's where it gets a little tricky because um, there are like indigenous ceremonial uses of both psilocybin mushrooms and um, and peyote, right? Like it's different different parts of the country, different indigenous groups use use both for for centuries, probably longer. Um, I have been trying to look into this. Um, I haven't done so like officially. Um, so, so everyone's understanding is that yes, in a ceremonial situation that psychedelics are legal, yet other people I talk to say that, um, it's actually only legal for indigenous, you know, coranderos to give psychedelics to their community. And that once they start giving psychedelics, even to like non-indigenous people, even like Mexicans from Mexico city or something that's when the law gets a little bit more gray. I, um, I actually need to do a little bit more reporting on this before I talk about it officially, but uh, I'm not actually positive if they're legal totally just in ceremonial settings in general. Sometimes you hear of ayahuasca ceremonies here like getting shut down by the police and like it's still illegal to be caught with psilocybin mushrooms. You, there's still um, cases of people you know, like mostly young men that were like cops were just looking for another excuse to stop them. And then they had mushrooms on them and then they, you know, things happen. Um, yeah. But also at the same time, like psychedelic experiences are just like a little bit more integral to the culture here. Uh, like when I talk to my Mexican friends about this stuff, it's no one's usually thinking like, oh, for fun, right? Like when I talk to my American friends, it's like, oh, let's do mushrooms. That sounds like fun. Let's like go camping. And but when I talk about it here with my Mexican friends, it's more, oh, deep healing. Like that's like a, just a, like a, kind of like an accepted form of like a, a healing uh, or, you know, some kind of uh, either from mental or even physical ailments. Um, it's more like a therapeutic thing than uh, not all my friends. Some of my friends are like really into the side trans community and, and they're into more recreational use. But when I bring it up to like a group of people I don't really know, people are like, oh yeah, well I hear ayahuasca is like, like, like 10 years of therapy in one day. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that too. I don't know. It's, it's um, at the same time, very similar to the US as it is, it is quite different. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain. I am sort of an outsider here to the culture. So it, I don't feel super comfortable talking about it as like an excerpt expert but <laughs> yeah well that's still good insight i think and i i, I appreciate your perspective yeah, thanks <laughs> my guest is michelle janikian author of the book your psilocybin mushroom companion an informative easy to use guide to understanding magic mushrooms you can get it online uh we'll have a link in the show notes and you can follow her on twitter at mushian m double zero s-h-i-a-n uh, there's an excerpt of the book you can read on doubleblindmag.com, which is a great website we both write for um, that is about psychedelics, but from a very progressive point of view, inclusive and wonderful. Uh, I love Double Blind. You can read an excerpt of, of the book there, and we'll have a link to that as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's really, really been great. 
Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Narcotica. You can follow us on Twitter at Narcocast or on Narcocast.com. We're on all the socials as well, YouTube, SoundCloud, whatever. If you like the program, you can support us on Patreon. Narcotica is an independent production by Christopher Moraff, Zachary Siegel, and myself, Troy Farah. Our theme music is by Glassboy, and additional music is by Mini Lan. Narcotica is an ad-free program, and we want to keep it that way. So thank you so much to our Patreons who help us keep this program free from corporate influence. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to help us out, join dozens of pro-drug advocates on our Patreon, or help us get the word out. Give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever. Tell your friends about us and spread the word at your local needle exchange. If you want to send us a suggestion, tell us about how magic mushrooms made you feel like you fell into a wormhole, or just want to say hi, you can email us at tips at narcocast.com. That's all for now. Take care.